Lots of righteousness tends to belong So keep your love on, on Welcome to the Get Your Love On podcast. This show is dedicated to the family of faith around the globe. In each episode, we learn how to simply walk with God in all His awesome love, incredible power, and authority. It's straightforward, and it's straight from the Word. We have free resources for you at getyourloveon.org. That includes free Bible studies and an amazing free video series, all there to answer your questions, build your faith, and of course, we'd love to hear from you. You can always reach out to us by going to getyourloveon.org. We have an amazing episode here, so let's go. Let it shine bright, 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 keep your love. And it's so wonderful that God's ways are perfect. He does only wondrous things. That's according to Psalms 72, 18. So today we're going to talk about why we choose God. Because make no mistake, the Lord does require a choice. And he is looking for those who want to choose him, his ways. And in doing so also stand against evil in both word and deed. So as we choose righteousness, as we choose God, we will also then stand against the wiles of Satan, the wiles of the devil, and his evil ways. It's a really cool life to live. But again, God does require a choice. So we're so glad that first of all, you made the choice to be here. Let's go to Joshua 24. In this chapter, the Lord outlines in beautiful detail everything he's done for the children of Israel. And then in verse 14, Joshua, a great valiant man, a a great leader of men and women, he says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. Now this word gods here, where Joshua says, and put away the gods of your fathers, that has a small g on it. This is a really important distinction because when we speak of God Almighty, we're talking about capital G-O-D, God, capital G, always. He is the only one. He is the only God who makes such declarations as we're going to cover in today's show. It's an exciting, exciting show. I'm so excited. Obviously, I'm excited. I just said that three times. Um, It's so wonderful to to have this knowledge. So we're we're going to focus on God Almighty, capital G. And Joshua is saying, put away the small G gods, all the distractions, all the junk. In verse 15, it says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. That's right. It's a daily choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Isn't that awesome? So the, the, there's two options here. 
small G gods, big G God. But we are so blessed because we get to know God Almighty, capital G-O-D. We get to know the Lord every day with every breath that's in us, with every heartbeat. We get to choose him. We get to choose God Almighty. Now, why is this so remarkable? Why am I just practically jumping out of my chair to share this with you today? It's because God's ways are perfect. Yeah, they're they're perfect. And the word perfect in the Bible means complete and whole. We'll get to the full definition here, but but that's what it means. It means complete and whole. So God's ways are entire. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 3 verse 14. It says, I know that whatsoever God doeth, capital G-O-D, whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God does it that men should fear before him. Ooh, God has a purpose behind everything he does. Now, the Hebrew meaning of the word fear, and again, on Get Your Love on here, we we feature ministers and we stick with the King James Version of the Bible. And we often love to go into our concordance, our Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. If you don't have one and you want to get to know the Word of God better, I recommend just going to Amazon. Make sure you get a Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. It's a pretty thick book, but it'll do your soul a lot of good. It helps us understand what these words really mean and and what the original author intended us to get out of these words. So the Hebrew meaning of the word fear means to tremble, to stand in awe, to reverence. Reverence him, speaking of God, as the avenger of wrong, to tremble for joy, terrible. Yeah, when you're coming, when when Satan is coming against one of God's elect, the consequences are terrible. That's true. It also means stupendous. It means admirable. It means wonderful and illustrious. So that's what it means that men should fear God. Whatsoever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it nor taken from it. And God does these things so that men reverence him. Isn't that wonderful? Now, most natural-minded people are very stuck in their own ways. They're very stuck in, in their own mindset. And God's saying, well, if you, if you just recognize my ways, you'll have this incredible life. You'll never be stuck. And it starts with reverencing God. And recognizing the difference between small g, gods, and capital G-O-D, God Almighty. So when I, when I was just reading that, Ecclesiastes 3.14, it says, Whatsoever God doeth, that's capital G-O-D. Whatever God Almighty is doing, it shall be forever. And nothing can be taken from it or put to it. Because God's ways are perfect. They're complete and they're whole. Let's go to Isaiah 55. This is verse 6. It says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. (laughs) Bless God. I love the Lord's authority. I love that he proclaims this and that he tells us, look, you're going to want to seek my ways because they are much better than your ways. And this isn't, you know, it's it's just a fact. It's it, He's the creator of, of everything we see and know and um, the ultimate solution provider. So, yes, we get to rely on the fact that his ways are much better than our ways. And this is a very comforting thing that, yeah, the Lord, the Lord knows exactly what he's doing. This is precious in verse 10. We're in Isaiah 55, verse 10. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not thither, but waters the earth and makes it to bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, there's always a purpose behind what God's doing. There's always a bigger, bigger picture. Verse 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. We can rest in God's mighty word, we can rest in his mighty ways, and we can rest in the fact that we are part of those mighty ways and that perfect, complete total work of God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? There's no partial victory in God. God obtains perfect and complete victory. And this is a really important fact to get in our hearts and our minds and let our souls rest in, especially as we see so much turmoil around us. And, and nations in total upheaval, cities and states in total upheaval, as we seek God's ways in our own lives, in our own individual hearts and minds, then we will begin to see those perfect ways that God lays out and, and be able to help others in our community. Say, mm, don't worry about that. This is, what, this is what God's doing. His word does not return unto him void. So when we rest in God's word, As we speak out the word of God, we can rest assured that those words will not return void, which means empty and pointless. They will be perfect and they will absolutely accomplish the thing that they set out to accomplish. So if you want to comfort someone, if you want to encourage someone, if you want to stand up against evil that you're seeing, do so with the word of God and watch it accomplish an incredible work. Let's go to Psalms 37. We're talking about God's ways are perfect. We have an incredible minister, too, we're featuring today. You've heard her uh, before. She's our dear friend, Trish, and she's got some beautiful teaching on how to make sure that every day we are choosing God and we're walking with that reverence and that grand understanding that this is God, capital G-O-D, that we serve. This is Psalms 37. Let's start in verse 1. It says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and withereth as a green herb. 
yeah, all the troublemakers out there right now, they might think that they're getting something accomplished because physical structures are burning down. But as a spirit-filled Christian, as those that seek God, we don't even have to fret those evildoers. We don't have to worry about them. And we certainly don't have to be envious of the seeming, um, the, anything that they seem to have. Trust God. Trust the word. They'll soon be cut down like grass. Just how easy it is it to pick up a, a blade of grass out of the ground? Super easy. Takes no strength. And they'll wither like a, a green herb. Here we go. Verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Oh, that's so precious. Thank you, Lord. It says in verse 4, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Trust the Lord. He's going to do the work. His word shall not return void. He's going to do the work. Isn't that wonderful? As we trust in the Lord and for ourselves, we do good. I love that. I love verse three. Trust in the Lord and do good. It isn't an inactive state. It's a very proactive state. We're trusting in God and we will do good. We will stand against the evil and we will stand against the lies and we will proclaim righteousness. And we will do so with great love, joy, and peace, because that's the God we serve, capital G-O-D, God Almighty. We'll trust in him and we'll do good. And then the Lord promises that we shall be fed. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 22. We're talking about the Lord's ways are perfect. And so we can trust in him and we can rely on him. And as we seek God every day with each heartbeat, with each breath, as we choose God every day, we'll see those wonderful, perfect ways become our life just every single day and not have a back and forth struggle, but just have perfect forward progress in God Almighty. Second Samuel chapter 22, we'll start in verse 26. This is some encouragement if, if anyone has family members or have found themselves um, in a position that, that is not pleasing to God, whether that's whatever that might be, if you've been found in that position or you know someone that's found in that position, give them this scripture, okay? The word says love covers a multitude of sin. So as we love one another the way God and Jesus Christ loves us, then all those past bad behaviors can be forgiven with a repentant heart and washed away through baptism in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So it's a beautiful thing. And in 2 Samuel 22, verse 26, the reason we are merciful to each other in so many different ways through so many different circumstances is because of this. It says, with the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. And with the upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the froward, thou wilt show thyself unsavory. God is always righteous. So again, that word to fear him 
means that we reverence him as an avenger of wrong. So we'll recognize that God is not going to be mocked and he always gets the results he's looking for. In verse 28, it says, And the afflicted people thou wilt save, but thine eyes are upon the haughty, that thou mayest bring them down. For thou art my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord will lighten my darkness. For by thee I have run through a troop. By my God have I leapt over a wall. So precious. If there is an army encamped against you, trust God. You'll run right through them. And then we won't have to beat our heads into a wall because by God, we can just leap over the wall. You see how much more efficient life becomes when we rest in God and we trust God's ways and when we choose God every day? Verse 31, this is 2 Samuel chapter 22. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. Now, the Hebrew meaning of the word perfect is whole, sound, sincere, entire, complete. It means integrity. It means truth. It means full. And it means without blemish. Now, this is really interesting. It comes from the root word accomplish, have done, completed. Okay. This work is done. There's, as it said in Ecclesiastes, there's no way to take anything from God's work and, and there's no way to add to it. God has accomplished this. His ways are perfect. Rest in them. Trust in him. Choose God. Capital G-O-D. Choose God Almighty every day. Here's why. Verse 32. This is so cool. For who is God? Save the Lord. And who is a rock? Save our God. God is my strength and power. He maketh my way perfect. See, it's not of our own will. It's not of our own doing. Beyond doing good, like it said, Psalms 37, where it said, trust God and do good. Beyond our choice to choose God and to do good, It's actually God that does the work to make our ways perfect. We use our own free will to choose God, and then he does the rest. Isn't that precious? This isn't about us doing these things or or striving to make our way perfect. This is about trusting God, that his ways are perfect. And as we walk in God, as we choose him every day, He makes our ways perfect. It's a wonderful comfort. It's a wonderful peace to have in our lives to know that God's doing it (laughs) and he doesn't fail. God is always victorious. Isn't that wonderful? I just love the Lord. Thank you so much. This is precious. Uh, Let's go on to verse 34. If, If we're looking for strength and we're looking for power and we're looking for sturdiness and steadiness in our life, this is where we go for it, the word of God. In verse 34, it says, He makes my feet like hind's feet and sets me upon high places. A hind is like a, a, a sort of a deer that can jump and leap through rocks. And, and so very sure-footed, very quick, very nimble, very agile, very sure-footed. 
even in that quickness and nimbleness, very sure-footed. And that's what we get when we trust in God and when we learn of his ways. We get that same thing, that, that surety, that when we take steps in our life, okay, Lord, which direction should I go? Is this of you? Should I go here? Should I go there? We'll be sure-footed. Verse 35, it says, he teaches my hands to war. Ooh, isn't that interesting? Well, he is our strength and our power. So definitely he will teach us how to war that spiritual warfare and be victorious so that a bow of steel is broken in mine arms. Very incredible strength. Not mamsy pamsy, okay, maybe sort of strong. (laughs) A bow of steel snapped in half. That's the strength of God Almighty. That's the strength we get when we choose God Almighty. When, as as Joshua said, when we leave off the gods, G-O-D, lowercase G-O-D, and the distractions and the vain philosophies and all the BS, when we leave off that and we just trust in God Almighty, capital G-O-D, he'll teach our hands to war and he'll give us the strength so that whatever kind of bars are holding us back, snapped in half, broken by mine arms. It says in verse 36, thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, protection, and thy gentleness hath made me great. Sounds like the perfect package right here. Yes, sturdy, sure-footed. Every step we take, we are sure-footed in God Almighty, strong, and knowing how to war righteously and so strong that bars trying to hold us back snapped in half and then also that gentleness to be to have that mercy and to be that safe that safe ear and that safe friend that true friend for those who are hurting isn't that beautiful this is the word of god and god is the same yesterday today and forever these are the promises he gives us when we choose him Capital G-O-D. You know, there are so many other philosophies and, you know, astronomy. And nowadays, there have been a lot of false prophets and false ministers that have conflated all these philosophies and their own mind and their own interpretation with the word of God. And it's wrong. And it doesn't give us the pure word. So if that's been your experience and you're coming out of the out of a church and you're going, well, gosh, why? I've never heard this before. Stick to your book. Go get yourself a King James Version of the Bible and, and stick your nose in there and see what the Lord shows you. It's awesome. And it'll be between you and God Almighty, your God, who you choose. And he'll he'll make your feet like Hind's feet. He'll make your your strong your hands strong and your mind strong and your heart full of gentleness and peace and mercy and long suffering. So what are we going to choose? It's your choice to make every day, whether you choose all the philosophies and vain imagination, you know, the astrology and all that crap. Those are all small G's. Or if you choose God Almighty. No other God has made such a grand declaration of my ways are perfect. (laughs) My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As high as the sky is over the earth are my thoughts 
over your thoughts and my ways over your ways. So it seems to me an appropriate thing to learn of God's ways. To choose God, capital G-O-D, to choose him and stick with him all the days of our lives. And make that intentional choice every single day. Make that decision every single day. Lord, I'm going to follow you. Lord, I want to choose you. Thanks, Lord. I love you. You know, when you, when we when you get married, you don't tell your spouse you love them once. Tell them that all the time. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you're here. I'm, I love you so much. And that's the same thing with the Lord. We get to do that every day. We get to choose him. So for those who do want to choose God, I have a very special treat for you. For those who want to choose capital G-O-D, always with a capital G. And anytime I text someone, this is this is what I do. And and uh, I was taught this by an apostle and as well. Every time I reference God or him or he or the Lord, I capitalize that. I give him that reverence in my own vocabulary and communication. It's a, it seems like a little thing, but it's, a, it's that reverence. It's that recognition of who God is and what he's done for us. And it's a beautiful thing. So as you're talking to others and, and you're writing, maybe you're shooting a text, God bless you. Be sure to capitalize that, God. Let them know that you care enough to bless them with God Almighty's blessing. Not these small G gods capital G-O-D, God Almighty. So as I was saying, uh, for those who do want all of God, I've got a real special treat for you. If you want to walk in his ways and, and be with the Lord, we have this amazing teaching from our dear friend Trish. It offers us the how to, how do we tune our ears and instruct our hearts to be part of God's wondrous works. So this message is from our friend Trish. It's called Walk with Reverence and Godly Fear. Well, greetings, everyone. Thank you for being here. Thank you for loving the Lord. Thank you for tuning in. The Lord is so, his heart is so large over his creation and his love is so great. He has a particular gift for those that really are seeking him and wanting to go deeper in their understanding of his ways. And the scriptures I have today, that what I'm going to title this message today is Walk with Reverence and Godly Fear. That's a safe place to be. And I'm going to start in Ephesians 5, verse 15. And it says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. What a beautiful outline of safety and perfection for God's beautiful souls as they journey through this journey until they meet the Lord again. So I want to break it down a little bit. The first thing they, that is said here in the scripture is, see then that you walk circumspectly. So I looked at that word circumspectly. What does that mean? In the Greek, it means exactly. Make sure when you're doing something, you're walking exactly right. Diligently. Put effort into it. Perfectly. Most 
exact, most straightest, the extremity, one end to the other, the whole thing, tip top from the top to the bottom, uttermost participle, make a point just now, still and yet. So that circumspectly, walking circumspectly, that's spot on. Make sure your walk is spot on with him. And sometimes you have to be still and wait on him to get that absolute mind, that mind for your walk, for your life, for you personally. And when you wait on him, he loves that. He loves to have that conference with you. And he will give you everything that you need. See, and it says after that, not as fools, but as wise. Because the world out here won't stop. It doesn't consider uh, the end of a matter. It doesn't consider the consequences of their actions. But he says, don't walk as fools. And fools are godless ones. Um, souls that don't have God in their life. But wisdom comes from above. That wisdom of God. Walk like that, but as wise. Redeeming the time. What does redeeming mean? Through the idea of collecting one's faculties. To waken. Rouse. Rouse from sleep. From sitting. Or lying. From disease from death, from obscurity, from inactivity, from ruins, from non-existence. Awake, lift up, rise again, rise up, rear up, arise, stand, take up. Redeeming, stand up, take up, and wake up. Because what the world will do, and that's why it says redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Every day that evil, it permeates. It's out there in the world. It's out there in the air. It wars against your righteous soul. It'll wear you down. It'll break you down. It erodes away. And that's why he said, go redeem the time. Get your time back with me. Get that that slumber that falls upon you because you've been worn out by the world, worn down by the world, beaten down, get built up again. The Lord himself, after he would feed the multitudes and give out, he would go away by himself and he'd go up into the mount alone and he would visit with the Father. He would redeem back the fullness of the Spirit. He would fill his vessel up and be prepared for the next step of the journey. And that's how you walk your life. Make sure, after you've been out in that arena, that you go and you get filled up again and restored. Get in his word. Pray in that heavenly language that he gave you. Bask in the beauty of the Lord through the scripture, through hearing his word uh, and waiting on him and through that heavenly prayer. It's a beautiful thing. The next verse, wherefore be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. What is the Lord's will? 
So I wanted to look up that word unwise. He said, don't be unwise. What does that mean? It means mindless. Mindless. What mind? The Lord's mind. That mind of the Lord. Don't be without his mind. Stupid. And I'm going, okay, what does stupid actually mean? In, in this sense, it's dull, dense, crass, dumb meaning lacking in power to absorb ideas or impressions. You're actually being dulled out to the point you can't absorb ideas when the Lord comes to you. If you've allowed yourself to be dulled out by all the campaign against your holy soul and that beautiful presence of God in your being and that Holy Ghost in you, you'll get, so you'll be so dulled out, you won't even be able to hear or absorb what God's trying to impress on you. Stupid implies a slow-witted or dazed state of mind that can be either congenital or temporary. There may be a temporary dulling. In the case of a faithful soul, and they've been beaten down by the world, you know, and been dulled out, that's a temporary state. When they get before God, they can build themselves up again when they're diligent. Like the word said, walk circumspectly, get in there, show that diligence, get built up again. Don't leave yourself in that dulled state. Get built up. And sometimes you're so wiped out. There are times that you be, can be so wiped out, you don't even know it's happened. And that's why God in his great mercy and his wonderful grace has provided us with a fivefold ministry. We have others that can come and restore such a one that can help you and lift you and say, let's, let's get into the word together. They'll have that perfect seasoned word to bring back that soundness. Boy, there's a safety in that. Bless God. Bless God for his ultimate wisdom in giving us one another, to help one another, to tender one another, and to care one another, care for one another. Stupid students just keep keeping the seats warm. Stupid with drink. Drinking alcohol can dull you out and cause that state that he's talking about here, that um, dulled out state. Dull suggests the slow or sluggish mind, such as a result from disease, depression, or shock. Ignorant, egotistic, rash, unbelieving, foolish, unwise. If you stay in that state, those are the conditions that'll happen. You'll, the world will start puffing you up. It'll take advantage of your dulled out state and it'll start puffing you up thinking you got it all when you're really out of step. It'll cause you to be rash in your actions. You'll jump on something, not really knowing what spirit you're of. That's why the Lord said earlier, now just be still, get filled up. When you've been out there, things have been rubbing on you. Go and get yourself filled up with the word. Have yourself prepared if you're at a job, get yourself filled up on the way home so that when you walk in your house, into your home, the Spirit of God and the fullness of the Spirit of God walks in there. 
Otherwise, all the debris from the day is going to be on you and that great cloud will come walking in. So exercise that. Walk circumspectly and redeem the time. I love this over in Ecclesiastics 12, 13. I'm going to skip right to it right now. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, the conclusion of all of it. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man, is to fear God and keep his commandments. When you're doing that, when you know that you're fearing him enough to make sure and ensure that you're clear, that you're in his word, that you're hearing his voice, that you're in his will, that's a good place to be. That's the whole duty of man. And you know that you've got that humility then if you're looking to him for answers. He will give them to you. Over in 1 John 2, verse 17, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, all of those enticements, they're all going to be gone. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. There will not be an end to that soul that doeth the will of God. Do you see why he says walk circumspectly? See why he says to redeem the time and why he says, understand what the will of God is, the will of the Lord. What is it? That takes work, carefulness. It takes putting in your time. It's worth it. You'll abide forever. So put your time in. Here's another very interesting outline from the Lord, which is such a good one to adhere to. Romans 12, 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be transformed. I'm going to get into this a little bit more, but for now, just remember that. He's, he doesn't want you to be conformed to this world to take on their behaviors, to take on their approach to things, the way they think about things and the way they do things. There's so many pitfalls out there. It's contrary to the way God would have you do things. When you recognize that, take your time and transform the way you do things to a whole new way and a whole new approach. You'll do a 180. You'll do a complete turnaround. And let God remake you into what he wants you to be and how he wants you to do it. And I'll guarantee you that world is constantly rubbing against and warring against that happening. So that's why you go back to the first thing I said. You go right back to Ephesians 5.15. See that you walk circumspectly and follow all those things that fulfill that circumspect walk. Over in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, here's how you do this. It's a very basic principle. God lined it out. Anyone that has spent their time in the Word, right from Genesis on, they will see that God divided out light from dark. He divided out all the darkness in the world from the light, which He is the light. He is the way and the truth. 
And so he would divide those two things apart from each other. He started from the very beginning. It has a spiritual significance. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, it says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. If you want to have strength in God, don't yoke yourself. When you're yoked with them, you're locked together and you go where they go. There, there's a constraint there. Don't yoke yourself with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, an unbeliever? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now take a look at this for a minute. When you went down into that water of baptism, and for those of you that are desiring to do so, when you go down into that water of baptism, everything is washed away. Every former thing is washed away. It's gone. There's remission. It's remitted. It's done away with. It's washed away with. And when you come up again out of that watery grave, that's that old man is dying away. All the deeds are dying away. And you come up out of that watery grave, you come up a whole new creature. And what enters in then? All that old nature, all those old things that dwell inside that vessel is gone and something new enters in. The Spirit of God enters in and you get filled with the Holy Ghost. When you wait upon Him, He will fill you with His Holy Spirit. That's why He says, I will dwell in them. That means then God Himself, His Holy Spirit, dwells in you and walk in them. And He will show you. He'll guide your steps. And He walks along with you everywhere you go. That's why you take that time to confer with Him and ask Him whether you should go, which way you should go, and how you should behave, and what you should say. He will fill your mouth. You give Him place and give your heart and your mind and your being to Him, and He'll guide you perfectly. It is the most amazing, beautiful walk, and all those woes are gone. You will have everything you need to fulfill that perfect straight walk before Him that will take you out of all the heartache, all the woes, all of the destruction, and absolute judgment at the end of your life. You will be absolutely on that clear path with Him, and He will work and interact with you. That makes you complete. And when you're complete, that means you've got that vessel that has all its perfect parts. It's in a perfect state to do God's bidding as long as you will allow God to move through you. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, 
and I will receive you. Just come out from among all of it, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now that doesn't mean you don't go out and interact out there on a job. Just don't yoke yourself to those spirits and that mind out there. Maintain the mind of God. And you'll know when the speech comes up that doesn't line up with the mind of God because you um, haven't conformed to it. You've done your due diligence. You've, got, you've gotten in there and you've studied it out. Then you'll know to reject something that doesn't line up with God. And we're going to get into that in a bit. You'll know how to do it. And you go, no, no. And it, it can present as words or it can present as thoughts or even their behaviors and actions. Just don't be like that. If it doesn't line up with word, just don't do it. Don't do it. And then when, like I said, when you go home, pray all of that off. Just say, Lord, show me what I ran into and encountered today. And then you're going to have this most beautiful interaction. You're going to have this discourse with him. You're going to have a real relationship with him, which is what he desires. He desires to be personal with you. He desires that you love him and reach out to him and entreat him for his guidance, for his understanding on things. And he wants you to line up with that. So down in, I'm going to go over now to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. And here again, he says, be not deceived. Evil communication Communications, plural, corrupt good manners. Now, this is something to remember. He says, look, don't be deceived out there. When you're out there in that public arena, because you have a course you go through this life, you're going to see all sorts of behaviors. You're going to hear all sorts of speech. He says, don't be deceived. That evil interaction, that evil communication it will, it will corrupt your good manners. So if you have to be out there, pray before you go out there. Pray and get yourself full of his spirit so you can fend off whatever's coming at you. And when you leave, get prayed up again. But don't yoke yourself to it. You journey through, but you don't attach yourself to it. And you certainly don't take on their thoughts and their behaviors. Because what it'll do, it'll break down your good manners. And you'll find things like you're going to start be, to become antisocial with the Spirit of God. You'll start to close off. You'll start to shut down. You'll start to show bad behaviors. And next thing you know, it just goes from there. So he's, he's saying, don't let that uh, let the world deceive you into thinking that there's a friendship there for you. Because over in James 4, 4, it says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. What is that friendship? It's behaving with a worldly behavior. It's taking on their ways, taking on their renditions, taking on their approach. He says, don't do that. 
don't make a, don't um, make a friendship with the world and consider that that's a, a good way to go. You can show love and compassion out there because they need it. Show them your good, holy conversation. Show them your good works. Show them how wonderful a God you serve in your behavior, in your conversation. And you can do it. You don't have to be religious about it. Just be that wholesome individual that doesn't get into all the foolishness that the world gets into. Just be who you are before God and stand fast. Study out Daniel in the scripture, in the book of Daniel, how he stood fast and he won great favor. He was amongst them all, but he won great favor and he continually spent that time before God. He continually did that. And it was an ongoing thing. So don't, and he would not, no matter what the world did, no matter what their itinerary was, he didn't join in with them. He maintained his righteous stance. Romans 12, 2. Remember how I said we would come back to this word transformed? Well, I'm going to read this again in Romans 12, 2. Because there's only two separate places in the Bible where the word transformed is used. It's very distinct. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So here's the second time that the word transform is referred to in the Bible. And it's over in 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 14. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Isn't that interesting? There's two different transformations. One is being transformed into the perfect will of God and transformed into his perfect mind. And the other is transforming into an angel of light. I'm going to look at the meaning of transformed. To transfigure or disguise to apply by accommodation, transform, transform self. The dictionary meaning means make a thorough or dramatic change in the form, appearance, or character of. Now, there's two different ways you can do that. You can do it the way of the righteous and transform yourself into the image of God on the face of this earth, or Satan has his substitute for everything that God has. What God's doing today is he's taking you deeper into discernment. Discernment is recognizing a spirit, recognizing whether it's of God or if it's of Satan himself. Is it of light or is it of darkness? So we're going to go for a walk and we're going to learn about the disguise that Satan can put on. Now, over in Matthew 4, starting verse 5, we're going to see this attempt that Satan makes to trip up Jesus, the Son of God. Now, bearing in mind who's in you, Jesus, the Son of God. His Spirit is in you. Remember, he said he would dwell in you. 
Over in verse 5, Then the devil taketh him up, speaking of Jesus, into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. Took him way up there. And saith unto him, now here's the first indicator that it's the devil. Spirit of doubt comes out of his mouth. If thou be the son of God, if is a doubting spirit. So if you hear that in a conversation, uh, perk up your ears. If thou be the son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands, they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Sounds pretty, he's quoting scripture here. That devil is actually quoting scripture. The devil knows how to quote scripture. A religious spirit is very good at it, very exercised. How did Jesus respond? Jesus said unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He knew the nature of God. He knew the word of God. And he knew what those angels were there for. Now, those angels are there when the enemy tries to assault you. And by no fault of your own and no doing of your own, those angels are there to protect you. I remember an apostle telling my husband when he was a young man, he said, yes, you have a guardian angel. You have one that walks with you. But remember this, if you decide, if you go up to a, the door of a bar, and I'll use this as an example, it's the example that he used. You go up to a, the door of a bar, for an example, and it's not the will of the Lord that you go in there and you decide to press past and go in there anyway, you're going in on your own because that angel will stand outside because it's not going to go against God and it's not going to go where God doesn't tell it to go. And Jesus knew that because if you purposely of your own will assert yourself over what God has for you and desires for you, then those angels aren't with you. They're not there. And see, the devil tried to trick him. So, oh, he's giving the angels charge over you. Yep, he's got, you've got a whole host of, host of them caring for you. But he tried to get Jesus to go somewhere that God didn't desire for him to do. And he says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Do you know what he showed and demonstrated there? Is the fear and reverence of God. That perfect fear and reverence of God and that perfect honor deferring to him and knowing that God has the final say in all things and you don't want to go out of your way to tempt him or be out of step with him or step out of the, that place that God has for you. That's what he, he knew right away. Uh-uh, I'm not falling into that trap. Because he knew his word and he was prayed up. He was full of the Spirit of God. All right, over in First Chronicles 28, starting in verse 9, 
And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou that the God of thy father, know thou, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imagination of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Take heed now, be careful. For the Lord hath chosen thee to build an house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Now, in that case, they were actually building a sanctuary. Today, you're building a house. It's the house of God. It's that holy temple that you dwell in. It's that permanent place that you're going to be received in when you leave this life. You're building it. You're building it now with your steadfastness, with your faithfulness, with your diligence, with your carefulness, that careful consideration of every word, of every step, of every action, of every thought. But what's very interesting here and very telling and very absolutely true, I'm going to read that section in verse 9. The Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imagination of the thoughts. So if you're going to counsel at all, what mind would you want to counsel with? Personally, I counsel with the mind of God because God searches down below. Remember how Satan transformed himself into an angel of light and he would actually quote scripture to try and trip a soul up? Well, who can see right through that false transformation? Making out like he's your friend like he's got something to offer you or good advice. Who sees right through that? The Lord God does. That's why it's very, very important to press through and get his vantage point and see what he sees is going on. And when you're exercised in that Holy Ghost interaction with God, he will speak to you and you're going to feel, oh, something's off here. And when you wait on him, he will bring you the answer. So with that, I'm also going to um, go to Luke 16, verse 13. No servant, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. You can't do it. We're going to see an example of that as we go on. You can't do it. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, it says, For the love of money, the love of it, not money itself, the love of it, that means you're preferring it above 
other things. The love of money, especially God, is the root of all evil, all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith because they put money first. They put money first. I'll tell you, if it comes to a choice between financial stability or spiritual stability, you would be better off walking away from all that finance, financial load that has got you buried to the point that you would sacrifice the spiritual stability in your life. You'd be better off to shuck it, walk away from it all, and establish a safe dwelling place where God can come first, where there's safety in the spirit for God to dwell and be the number one force, the number one focus, the number one cause in your life and those of your household, whether it be yourself only or others that you have the care over. You would be better off walking out from under that, that load that has you burdened to think that you have to sacrifice any to keep carrying that burden rather than having them safe in a safe dwelling place. I'm just giving you some good wisdom. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, because without faith you can't please God, and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. You've made that profession. Fulfill it, ensure it, secure it, do whatever you need to do to make sure that you're following after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. God will meet you and he'll take care of you. You can read about that. So let's take a look. We're going to take a real good look at a really slippery spirit here. This one really sets that definition of that transformation into an angel of light, how the devil did it. This one really points out when you have that exercised mind of God, points out the behavior of someone who's feigning to be of God, but their heart and their imagination is actually far from them. So let's go over to Numbers 22, starting in verse 1. And the children of Israel set forth and pitched in the plains of Moab on the side of Jordan by Jericho. Here comes the children of God. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw that, the, that Israel had done saw what Israel had done to the Amorites. Oh, he knew their reputation, and now they're in his backyard. And Moab was sore afraid of the people 
because there were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are round about us, as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. And he sent messengers, therefore, before Balaam, the son of Beor, to Pethor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure, I shall prevail, that we may smite them, and that I may drive them out of the land. For I want that he whom thou blessest is blessed, and him who thou cursest cursed. I know that who you bless is blessed, and who you curse is cursed. This is the reputation of Balaam, because God backed up his word. And he says, I know this about you. So you come now, right now, you come here and you curse this people for me. Because when you curse something, it's cursed. Didn't know much about God, but he knew who had the goods, so he thought. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand. They had a bounty in their hands. And they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. And he said unto them, he saith, said unto them, Lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again, as the Lord shall speak unto me. And the princess of Moab abode with Balaam. Well, mistake number one, why did he open his door to them? Why did he open his door to them in the first place? Why? What was down in Balaam? He wanted the stuff. He wanted the stuff. He wanted the rewards. And God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? What men are these that are with thee? God knew right away. And Balaam said unto God, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt, which covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them. Peradventure, I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. Well, you can see that he's starting out on the wrong foot right from the beginning. Number one, he didn't even perceive that this was the blessed people of God. And number two, he's going to God asking God to curse them. And why did he do it? Because he wanted the reward. He wanted the stuff. So there's God telling him, you're not going to go. Don't you go with them and don't you bless them. Come out from among them. Be separate, saith the Lord. Mm -hmm. And Balaam rose up in the morning. Okay. 
and said unto the princes of Balak, Get you into your land, for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. The Lord won't let me go with you. And the princes of Moab rose up, and they went unto Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. And Balak sent yet again princes, more and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam. Now see, he's going to try another tactic. Mm -hmm. He's going to send even more notable princes, higher esteem. He's going to appeal. Okay, he couldn't buy him. So now he's going to see if he can puff him up. He's going to try another tactic. And they came to Balaam and said unto him, Thus saith Balak the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me. Don't let anything stop you. Come to me. For I will promote thee unto very great honor. Puff, puff, puff. And I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. Now there's this entreaty. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'll give you great honor. Just come with me. Don't let anything stop you. Come with me and just curse these people. It's a simple thing. Just curse these people. Mm -hmm. And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. So I can't do anything less or more than God tells me to do. He got that right. Now, therefore, I pray you, his next statement betrays him. Now, therefore, I pray you, tarry ye also here this night. Just stay here this night that I may know what the Lord shall say unto me more. I'm going to see if I can change his mind. Boy, you made a pretty nifty offer here. I'm kind of liking the sound of all of that, those accolades and that recognition and all of the money and all the fame. Uh, you just stay here and let me see what the Lord will say to me. See if I can change his mind. I'm going to go to him again. I'm going to keep pressing in, see if I can get my way. So let's do a comparison here. Let's do a comparison. Firstly, he shouldn't have let them in the door. That was the first clue. Secondly, uh, he's going to be presumptuous enough to think that he can go and change God's mind because it's a selfish thing that he's wanting. It's not for the, he wants to curse an entire nation for his own benefit. And he's going to go to God to see if he can change God's mind. And yet he's seeming and appearing to be all holy. I can't do anything more than what God, or less than what God says. Putting on that front. Uh-huh. Over in Matthew 4.10, let's see what Jesus said to Satan. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Get away from me. He didn't say, well, come and uh, stay, in, stay the night. Let's see if God will change his mind. No, he sent him away. 
Get the hints. All right, let's see what Apostle Peter said when a, a, a feigning spirit came and tried to buy the Holy Ghost. And the reason that one tried to buy the Holy Ghost, because he had everybody bewitched into believing he was the great power of God, religious spirit again, had them buffaloed into thinking he was the great power of God. And all of a sudden he saw these miracles going on and this Holy Ghost being given to people. He says, well, he wanted to buy it because he wanted to keep his stronghold over the people. He wanted it for his own use, for his own use, for his own benefits, so he could keep his entourage and all the accolades. And what did Peter say? But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Get out of here. See, somebody that was weak in understanding, if you go back and read the story of Simon the sorcerer, he snuck in there because somebody didn't have the experience. They didn't have the, it was Philip, he didn't have the depth of understanding of, he actually baptized a devil. But Peter did. Peter fastened his eyes on him and he saw his behavior and he saw his approach. He didn't come broken and meek and contrite. He didn't come meek and lowly. He came all puffed up and he figured he could buy it with money so he could use it for himself. And Peter read him down the line and gave him the boot and told him to go pray through. You go pray through. Mm -hmm. And that spirit came back at him and asked him to do it for him. Doesn't say whether he ever accomplished being able to get clear. God knows. So let's go back to Balaam here. So kind of telling. His behavior is kind of telling here. He invited them to stay overnight and he wanted to see if he could change God's mind. In verse 20, Numbers 22, verse 20. And God came unto Balaam at night. I wonder how he was kind of feeling about Balaam right about then. Because he's still pushing him. I want to get my way. I want to get my way. And God came unto Balaam that night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that shall shalt thou do. Do you see how God is the absolute ultimate authority? He gave him a certain leeway. The leeway that he gave him was actually the leeway to his own destruction. If he took, if he chose to go in that leeway that God gave him, that ultimately would lead to his own destruction because Balaam had a choice. But God would not compromise his people. He would not do it. Mm -hmm. But that I shall, what I, which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. He would not allow him to alter his purpose for his people. And Balaam rose up in the morning. I didn't see anybody come calling upon him. Did you? But you see how he got an, a little uh, inroad there? He got a little wiggle room. Just this little margin of wiggle room. Oh, I can go. If Oh, I can go. All he heard is he could go. 
Maybe I can change God's mind. Maybe I can get all this stuff. Maybe I can get away with it. I can get my own way. He rose up early and he rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. Seeing his nature again. If you're to the untrained soul, it seems like God gave him permission to do it. Not really. He's trying him still. And the only provision he made is you can destroy yourself, but I'm not going to let you destroy the people of God. And God's anger was kindled because he went. Because he knew, he knew God did not want him to go. And he knew God did not want to curse the people. He knew that. Everything that he does from this point on is knowing full well that he shouldn't be doing it and that God does not want to curse these people. But he went anyway. God's anger was kindled because he went. And yet there was a mercy here, right here. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him, tried to stop him. Now he was riding upon his ass and his two servants were with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand. And the ass turned aside out of the way. Even the ass that he rode upon, that beast, could see more than that backsliding prophet. That prophet was determined to get his own way. He was going to do it his way. He was going to do anything he could to do it his way. And that ass stopped and went into the field. And Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. He got mad. You stop doing it God's way. You do it my way. Basically is what he was saying to him. Don't you dare do it God's way. You do it my way. You go the way that I want you to go. You do what I want you to do. Mm -hmm. But the angel of the Lord stood in a path of the vineyards, a wall being on this side and a wall being on that side. So he's standing there in the vineyards and there's a wall on either side. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself into the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. And he smote her again. Do you remember where the Lord said, if you, lest you, that he put angels, gave them charge over thee, lest thy dash thy foot against a wall. He wasn't in the way of the Lord. He was tempting God right there. He was tempting him. So what happened? He got his foot smashed into the wall. And yet the angel of the Lord, even with that, was trying to keep him in a place of safety. He was trying to warn him. So he let him get a smack. Got a bit of a smack here. Did that smarten him up yet? How far will God go? He's trying to keep him. Mm -hmm. So there he is. And what did he turn around and do? He smote her again. He just smacked her again. And the angel of the Lord went further, further and stood in a narrow place where was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. It just got narrow and narrow. There's nowhere to go. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam. Plunk! And, and what did Balaam do? He still didn't get the message. And Balaam's anger was kindled 
and he smote the ass with a staff. Literally smoke him again, smote her again three times. He beat on that. And here was the Lord trying to prevent him from destruction. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was standing beside a donkey and its mouth opened and it started talking to me, I think I'd stand up and take note. I think I'd notice something pretty profound what's going on here. And she said unto Balaam, what have I done unto thee? She had to literally, God had to give her her own voice and literally she had to take up her own cause that thou hast smitten these, these three times. What have I done to you that thou hast beaten me like this? And Balaam said unto the ass, because thou hast mocked me. Look how puffed up he is. I would there were a sword in my hand for now I would kill thee. Murder, arrogance, and murder. If you're watching to see the behaviors of what is coming out of this feigning prophet. Mm -hmm. And the ass said unto Balaam, am not I thine ass upon which thou hast written ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever wont to do so unto thee? And he said, Nay, have I ever done anything like this to you before? Haven't I been faithful? Mm -hmm. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand. And he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. Now he's going to make a show. Oops. The jig's up. God's appeared on the scene. Oh, dear. I guess, you know, he didn't regard the ass. Even though it spoke to him, he didn't have any regard for it at all. But all of a sudden, God opened his eyes, and it's like, whoops, the jig's up. So I better um, act real contrite here. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass these three times? Why did you do that? Behold, I went out to withstand thee because thy way is perverse before me. I'm trying to protect you because your way is perverse. You're going the wrong direction. I am trying to protect you. And the ass saw me and turned from me these three times. Unless she had turned from me, surely now also I had slain thee and saved her alive. If she hadn't done what she did, I would have slain you. But I would have saved her alive. A little sobering. Let's see if Balaam gets the point. Let's see if he's pushed it so far or if he would learn from that. Let's just see. And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. For I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeased thee, well, he already said it displeased him, I will get me back again. Well, by this time, God's pretty disgusted with this behavior. So let's just see what he decides to do. So remember, whether it looks like or not, God is in control. 
Balaam does ha is a free moral agent. He did give him choices along the way. And the angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, go with the man. Go ahead. Go with him. He gave him license to go. Go ahead. Go with him. But only the word that I shall speak unto thee, that thou shalt speak. See how God took authority right there? He literally, no matter how much Balaam wanted it, he literally took authority over his tongue. Why? Because God had purposed not to curse Israel. But he kept Balak, Balaam just pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed until God finally said, then go ahead. Just go. Just go. Mm -hmm. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. So he went ahead and went. And when Balak heard that Balaam was come, he went out to meet him unto a city of Moab, which is in the border of Aaron, which is in the utmost coast. And Balak said unto Balaam, Did I not earnestly send unto thee to call thee? Now see, he's making sure that he knows, I earnestly sent, sent unto thee to call thee, wherefore camest thou not unto me? Am I not able indeed to promote thee to honor? I'm the great power. I can promote thee to honor. How come you didn't come right away? Mm-hmm. He's in the enemy's camp now, and the enemy's boasting, I have the power. And Balaam said unto Balak, Lo, I am come unto thee. You notice he knew why he was there. He's going to, you'll notice through here, all through here, he's going to try and save face in front of Balak. Now, have I now any power at all to say anything? Now he's getting all religious. Have I any power to save any, say anything? The word that God putteth in my mouth, that shall I speak. See, he's covering his butt here. He's trying to look very, very holy. Because if he were truly holy, he wouldn't be there in the first place. Because he already knows what God said to him but he's going to see if he can wangle his way into getting all that stuff. That's it. Mm -hmm. And Balaam went with Balak. He went with him. And they came unto Kerothazoth, and Balak offered oxen and sheep and sent to Balaam and to the princes that were with him. So there Balak is setting up his, his offerings. And it came to pass on the morrow that Balak took Balaam and brought him up into the high places of Baal. Isn't that something? That thence he might see the uttermost part of the people. He took him up there and he wanted him to see the people. Over in Numbers 23 verse 1, And Balaam said unto Balak, now he is liking the feel of the control. Remember the king said, you tell me whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. So he's trying it on for size. He's making a show here. And Balaam said unto Balak, build me here seven altars and prepare me here seven oxen and seven rams. He's putting in work. You go ahead and you go and do this for me. 
I'm the great one. Mm -hmm. And Balaam said unto Balak, Stand by thy burnt offering, and I will go. Peradventure, the Lord will come to meet me. And whatsoever he showeth me, I will tell thee. And he went to a high place. There he is going to go before God again. Isn't that something? Try and convince him again. And let's see what approach he has with God. He's in the courts of Baal. The high place is the Baal. Wow. And God met Balaam. And he said unto him, here's Balaam speaking. And he said unto him, I have prepared seven altars and I have offered upon every altar a bullock and a ram. No, he didn't. Somebody else did it, but he took the credit for it. Isn't that interesting? That nature? Somebody else did it. I've done all of this. Look and regard me. Getting kind of puffed up here. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth. Now, see, he'd been commanded that he's going to have to speak the word that God puts in his mouth. He's going to have fun with him. Because he knows what's going to happen once he goes before that guy that's doing all this stuff for him, promised all this stuff to him. And he's not going to let him speak anything but what he tells him to say. <laughs> we'll see what the end result is. Anyway, he's also proving that he's God. And he does have power over him. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return unto Balak, and thus thou shalt speak. And he returned unto him, and lo, he stood by his burnt sacrifice, he and all the princes of Moab. I mean, he's got all of them out in front of him. And he took up his parable and said, Balak, the king of Moab, have brought me from Aram out of the mountains of the east, saying, Come, curse me, Jacob, and come defy Israel. See, he stated right there as a testimony against his own soul that he knew why he was there, even though he knew God told him he was not to go and he was not to curse them. That's on record. How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? See how he's, oh, how can I do it? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the four parts of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. Well, he's asking for something. He's, he's saying what he wishes for. Doesn't mean that's what's going to happen to him. He's wishing he could die the death of the righteous. He's wishing he could. Let me die the death of the righteous. Let my end be like his. He's wishing for it. Mm -mm. Wishing for it and having it are two completely different things. And Balak said unto Balaam, What hast thou done unto me? I took thee to curse mine enemies, and behold, thou hast blessed them all together. <laughs> right in front of them. God says, well, I'm going to show you who's boss. 
So there he is. And they were all standing up waiting for him to curse him. And God wouldn't let him. So he's shamefacing him, but he's trying to save face. Mm -hmm. Let's go uh, over in Deuteronomy 35.5. And I'll tell you, this is God uh, saying, yeah, I'm the one that does this. Nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee, because the Lord thy God loved thee. That's why he, God is the one that wouldn't allow Balaam to curse them. He wanted to. He desperately wanted to. He wanted the stuff. He wanted all that mammon and everything that came along with it. He wanted all that fame and acclaim. He wanted the goods. He wanted to do it, but God wouldn't let him. But he's putting on a pretty good show and using God as an excuse as to why this stuff is coming out of his mouth. But that's not what's in his heart and that's not his intent. Get to know the spirits. All right, let's go back to verse 13. And Balak said unto him, Come, I pray thee, with me unto another place, from whence thou mayest see them, that thou shalt see but the uttermost part of them, and shall not see them at all, and curse me from thence, me them from thence. He says, okay, I'm going to try a different tactic. I'm going to move you to another spot. Because here you said, I can see how great they are and how big they are. He says, I'm going to move you somewhere where you can't see them. And maybe if they're out of sight and out of mind, then you'll curse them. Boy, the tactics the devil will go to to try and overrule God. And there's Balak going along with him. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Balak said unto him, I'm going to repeat that. Come, I pray thee, with me unto another place, from whence thou mayest see them, that thou shalt see but the uttermost part of them, and shall not see them at all. You're not going to see them. I'm going to take you from this place where you can see them all to a place where you can't. And curse me them from thence. See, Balaam still knows he's taking them to a place to curse them. Mm -hmm. And he brought him into the field of Sephrim, to the top of Pishkah, and built seven altars and offered a bullock and a ram on every altar. So there they are. They're setting up those offerings again. They're not setting them up offering it to God. They're setting them up to those false gods, to Baal. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. And he said unto Balak, Stand here by thy burnt offering while I meet the Lord yonder. Just stand here. He's loving that control. He's getting this guy to do this king. He's getting a king to do whatever he wants him to do. He says, you stand by your offering. I, the great one, am going to go confer with God. And the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, go again unto Balak and say thus. Oh, it's just going to keep getting better and better. And when he came, unto, came to him, behold, he stood by his burnt offering and the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said unto him, What hath the Lord spoken? And he took up his parable and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear and hearken unto me, thou son of Zippor. He says, Rise up to me. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. 
Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received, com received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of, the, of a king is among them. God brought them out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob, neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time, it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, What hath God wrought? Behold, the people shall rise up as a great lion and lift up himself as a young lion. He shall not lie down until he eat of the prey and drink the blood of the slain. And Balak said unto Balaam, Neither curse them at all nor bless them at all. He stop, 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 stop. She's getting worse and worse and worse. So stop doing that. Don't curse them and don't bless them. Don't do either of it. It's just getting worse and worse. And how does he try and save face? But Balaam answered and said unto Balak, Told not I thee, saying, All that the Lord speaketh, that I must do. I'm blameless. I must do it. And Balak said unto Balaam, Come, I pray thee. I will bring thee to another place. He's going to try it again. Peradventure, it will please God that thou mayest curse me them from thence. Now he's going to try and appeal to God. See, up to then he'd been appealing to his idols and all the rest of it. And he says, well, now I'm going to appeal to God. Let's see if God will bless, do it for me. Numbers 24, verse 1. And when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he went not as at other times, to seek for enchantments. So he didn't seek for enchantments, but he set his face towards the wilderness. So he's going to try it a different way. And Balaam lifted up his eyes, and he saw Israel abiding in his tents according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon them. And he took up this parable and said, Now look how he speaks of himself. Balaam the son of Beor hath said, and the man whose eyes are opened hath said, he's boasting on himself. He hath said, which heard the words of God, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes opened. And he began to bless Israel. But you see how he made this big boasting on himself as being this great one and his eyes were opened. A true prophet of God doesn't do that. They don't take and glorify themselves. When they convey a visitation of God, and you've had experience with this, and those of you that haven't, there'll be a great humility. Quite often I see them weep. They're overcome with the majesty of God, and they give the glory to God. They recognize Him. And they recognize that they're nothing insignificant compared to the glory and majesty of God. They don't promote and exalt themselves. I know for myself, anytime the Lord gives me a visitation or opens my eyes to see anything from him, I rejoice in this one thing, that it can be made evident to the souls out there, those needy, hungry souls, that indeed of assuring God is alive and he's on the face of this earth.
And I take their hearts and, and put them towards God. Have their eyes pressed into him that they too can see. Not lifting one above another, but bringing each one to the fullness and the understanding and the beauty of what God has and what, who God is. What a wondrous thing. It's a very humble experience, a very humbling walk. And each man is to work out his own salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord, not boasting. So let's, and so there he is, he's blessing Israel with this great blessing. So let's go down to verse 10 and see how this falls out. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam. And he smote his hands together. He'd had enough. And Balak said unto Balaam, I called thee to curse thine en mine enemies. And behold, thou hast altogether blessed them these three times. Therefore now flee thou to thy place. I thought to promote thee unto great honor, but lo, the Lord hath kept thee back from honor. Isn't that something? How he accuses God, how he sets him, exalts himself up. I was going to promote you to honor. And then he said, it's God's fault that you aren't. Isn't that something? The tactics of the devil, the arrogance. You could have done this, but your God won't let you. I would have let you. Come and serve me. I'll let you do all that stuff. Yep. Absolute destruction when you fall for that one. Your woes, you walk into a place of woe. That means destruction. Mm -hmm. And Balaam said unto Balak, Spake I not also to thy messengers which thou sentest unto me, saying, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the commandment of the Lord to do either good or bad of mine own mind. But what the Lord saith, that will I speak. Didn't I already tell you that I had to do that? See, he's trying to save face. He's doing some backtracking. He's trying to save face. But verse 14, it's hidden, but God will reveal it. What he did do. He tried to make amends, tried to save faith. Because he desperately wanted that stuff. And he desperately wanted to curse Israel. He wanted to. And now behold, I go unto my people. Come therefore, and I will advertise thee what this people shall do to thy people in the latter days. It doesn't say all of what he advertised to him. But he shared some things with him in that back chamber. And come with me. I'm going to share some things with you. I'm going to fill you in. So let's go on. In verse 15, And he took up his parable and said, Balaam the son of Beor hath said, and the man whose eyes are opened hath said, he hath said, which heard the words of God and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a sepulcher shall rise up out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheth. Now, he does go on to predict what was coming, but he figures it'll appease that king, because he says it's far off. It's not going to happen right now. So something that's coming. 
wanted to give him something. And he did give him a little something, something in the back room. And Balaam rose up and went and returned to his place. And Balak also went to his way. Remember, he'd been versed by Balaam. So now let's go into Numbers 25, verse 1. And let's see what instruction Balaam had left with him. And what the repercussions of that instruction is. And I will prove it in a minute. Numbers 25, 1. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, small g, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods, small g. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. I know how you can bring them down. That was the counsel. Read about it over in Revelations 14. God refers to it because God heard the conversation in that back room, even though it wasn't stated plainly earlier. Revelations 2.14, he's talking to a church here. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. That's what he did. He told them how to do it. To eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Balaam told him what to do to cause the children to do that. Isn't that something? So stay full. Show that earnest care and that diligence to stay prayed up. Stay full so nothing can trick you. Nothing can cause you to stumble. Mm -hmm. Yep. You see what, what a show Balaam put on. It, from the outward appearance, it looks like he was giving them the word of God. And wow, isn't that something? But what was down inside. That is what God looks at. What is the intent of the heart? What is that? What are the imaginations that they have? What is their desire? Is their desire to spare or is their desire to destroy, to deceive and destroy? What is the desire? Give your voice only to that which is to spare and restore and bring to the throne of God. Mm -hmm. to build up, not tear down. Hebrews 12, verse 25. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, how much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, and that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now God did try the people uh, with Moab, with the instruction that Balaam had given Moab. 
and he allowed the daughters of Moab to try them. And he saw what could be shaken and moved from its righteous place and what would stand firm. Because there were ones that did not give in to that. There were ones that didn't were not moved by it. And they were the ones that stood up and cleaned it out of the house of God and out of the camp. They were the ones. So God will do that at times. He will try, he will shake, and he'll see if any can be moved from their place by any device. By any device. And the ones that were moved were pulled away because of their own lust, just like Balaam. It was, he lusted after those things. He wanted those things. He wanted to be able to call the shots. Tell me what to do, command me, and I'll do it. He wanted to call all the shots. If you serve me, I'll let you do whatever you want. Yep, you can come and go as you please. What spirit is that? But he would try them and to see what would shake them, to see if any could be loosed. But God is so kind. He's put the angel of the Lord there with a flaming sword, his word, to help you along the way and keep you safe as long as you stay in that moldable state. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. I want you to note that it says we may. We have the permission to do it. It didn't say shall or will. It said we may. Grace gives us that opportunity to serve God acceptably. You have to walk in that grace and you have to choose it. It's up to you to choose to do that. It's up to you to choose to obey God and to walk in his perfect will, to take the time to seek it out, to study it out, to wait it out, to put down the urges and desires of your own flesh and line up with what God would have for you personally in your life. Let us have grace. I'm going to read that again. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Over in Luke 11, verse 21, when a strong man armed keepeth, keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. Your household, if you're strong, if you've made yourself strong in the word of God, you've lined up, you know what the mind of God is, you know what his perfect will is, your goods will be in peace, your household will be at peace. But, here's the contingent here, but when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. If you let a spirit come along and buffalo you and you allow it into your midst and into your house, it will overtake you and it's going to tear your house apart and your house is going to be in turmoil. You're going to have problems. You're going to have heartache and headache. Mm -hmm. And you're going to lose it. You're going to lose that blessing. 
He'll take away your armor, all of your defense mechanisms. That armor is the Word of God. Wherein you trusted, you trust in the Word of God, He's going to take it away from you because you let something else come in and trick you, overcome you, assert itself over what God said in His Word. How do you counter that? Go to Him. Get before Him. Get yourself built up. We said it right in the very beginning. Go back to those basic principles. Get before God and wait on Him until you are full of His Spirit. Your armor is in place. You're in place. And you're standing steadfast and remove that offense out of your life, out of your mind, out of your presence, and out of your house. Out of your mind first. Don't let it speak to you. Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art a fence unto me. That's how you have to answer it. I rebuke thee, Satan. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I rebuke thee. Get thee hence. When you resist the devil and you continue to do that, he will flee from you. And then God will restore to you that soundness that safety, and that army will fully be there backing you up. And why is that army of God there? That army of God is there, again, we covered it earlier, is there to protect you against the fiery darts of the wicked coming at you. He's protecting you if it tries to enter into where you are. It's not there to protect you if you decide to leave the presence of God and go out where they are. That's not what that army's for. That army is there to back you up when you are walking with all your heart and all your might in the true, perfect will of God. They'll back you up. They'll be there just like God backed up Israel when Balaam tried to take them out and curse them. God backed them up because Israel didn't do anything at that point. Somebody else was trying to do it to them. You see the difference? See, there's provisions on it. When you follow him with all your heart and you're fulfilling all of his commandments and you're serving him perfectly and upright, you better believe that army's there and it will protect and defend you if anything tries to come at you. And you can walk out in that arena when you have to go to work or wherever you have to go and you keep your stance, God will protect and defend you. He will. But you can't give place to any other spirit. Or you've let your you've let your guard down. You've let them down. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a carefulness. But when you're standing righteous before him, you can stand tall. Absolutely. And what does God look for? I'll tell you right now. Isaiah 66, 1. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. It's under his feet. The earth is already under God's feet. Where is the house that ye built unto me? And where is the place of my rest? Where is my where's the house going to be? And where is my rest going to be? For all those things have mine hand made. He's made everything. And those things have been, saith the Lord, But to this man will I look. This is what he's looking for. Even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, 
and trembleth at my word. Fear and trembling. Again, let every man, woman, and child work out their own salvation with fear and trembling before God. That's where it applies. That fear and trembling is that respect for God, that reverence for his holy word and his holy commandments and his holy presence, that carefulness before him, that consideration that you give in everything that you do, and that seeking to walk circumspectly, that earnest circumspect search of him, earnestly desiring to do his perfect will, regardless of what your flesh wants, but to be pleasing in his sight and knowing what that perfect will is. That's who God's looking for. He's not looking for the puffed up and proud and the ones that take it for granted or toss it around. Like Balaam, he tossed it around. There's one, the devil, he tosses the word of God around. He just tosses it around. But he's tossing it around for his own devices to serve himself. Mm -hmm. But God's true, meek and contrite souls. See, when he says, eat to him that is poor, not puffed up, not heady and high-minded, not figuring they got it all. God has got it all. And that's the source of you obtaining it all daily and hourly. You obtain it daily and hourly to the very end. You don't let up. You don't stop. You keep going forward. And he will give you, no matter what state you're in, he will give you everything that you need. Mm -hmm. Everything. If your heart is heavy, say, Lord, lift my heart. I've had to pray that. I've had days where I've had to pray that, Lord, lift my heart. Even when I didn't think the words would work in my own mind. And God, my God, he would do it. He would do it. And I would be amazed. Lord, my heart's lifted now. You did it. You did it. Yay. And then I became stronger and stronger and stronger until my confidence grew to the point that I knew if I needed my heart lifted and I asked him to lift it, he would lift it. I would just press into him, hold on, and it would, by and by, it would be lifted. I'd just bear with all things and go the journeys I needed to go because then my soul wasn't shallow. It wasn't empty. It became very full for God's people so I can understand them and I can love them for God's purposes, not for my own, not for my own, not at all. In Proverbs 27, I'm going to close with this. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself but the simple pass on and are punished. I think if you um, digest this word today, it's going to add volumes to you. It's going to add a perspective in your life that's going to bring a carefulness. It's going to bring a beauty into your life and a safety into your life that when you apply it, it will literally serve you all of your days. And those sweet and dear ones that God brings into your life, you'll know how to tender them. You'll know how to keep them in safety under the skirts of the Lord. By your holy example, by saying, oh, I know that one. The Lord showed me this. And being able to and ask the Lord to give you that real deep discernment. If you feel like something's a little off, then go sit with him. He'll show you. He'll show you what's making you feel that, whether it's him or whether it's the flesh kicking. He'll divide it out for you. 
beautiful, beautiful thing to have a God that personal that will help you through everything, all your days. Well, I love you dearly. I love you all with a deep, deep abiding love. God bless you all with a great overflowing and abundance of understanding and quickening by his spirit. And there you go. What an incredible message. And I hope uh, hope that blessed you as much as it did me. Well, that's, that is the end of this show today. Don't forget, you can always catch us on Twitter. We are on Twitter. Get your love on the number one. And then Instagram, get your love on pod. And then YouTube, Facebook, catch up with us there. Of course, the podcast is also available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google, and iTunes. Well, since we've spent the last two hours getting our love on, let's keep our love on. And let's share it with one another and be that voice of strength and righteousness in each of our communities. Have a wonderful week. We'll be back next week with another beautiful message for you. Man or woman, man, or woman who is so down, try keep your love on, on. Sons and daughters, sons and daughters of the one true God, keep your love on, on.